Impact Hustlers, the podcast on entrepreneurs and changemakers that are creating solutions to the world's biggest problems. Impact Hustlers is brought to you by Waira UK, part of Telefonica Open Future. Visit waira.co.uk to learn how our acceleration programs can help your startup grow. And this is your host, Michael Shafrat. On today's episode, I'm joined by Max Parmentier, co-founder and CEO of elderly care startup Birdie. Birdie has built what it calls a care companion, a platform that helps relatives monitor the safety and health of those that they are taken care of due to sickness, age or disability. Their sensors track behavior in the home and notify relatives once unusual behavior is detected. The Birdie app helps families and relatives to constantly know what is happening with their loved ones and makes giving care an easier process for them. Founded only last year in 2017, the company is now 18 people strong and has been backed by insurance giant AXA and is now on a mission to disrupt the elderly care space. Welcome to Impact Hustlers, Max. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for inviting me. What's the story behind Birdie? Is there a personal story behind it as well? And what is the big problem that you're trying to solve? Yeah, so so clearly there's a personal story um, and, and it's kind of <laughs> the typical kind of founder story, but but it's it's a true one in this case and, and really quite a, a movie one um, when my my grandmother passed away uh, about 10 years ago my my grandfather uh, was left alone and we decided uh, with my family to actually uh, move him to a, a care home um, and we thought it was the right decision for him he had parkinson but in a matter of month he, he rapidly declined he was not feeling well he was very depressed um, he wouldn't recognize his environment and so on and after seven months he actually passed away the experience for us was really bad um, we we realized he was unhappy uh, we didn't want to go there and, and myself I realized I wasn't go there, going there very often because it was just you know facing aging facing people who are just aging and are depressed and unhappy and so I, I, I would just not accept that not go there at all and the day he passed away I, I told to myself we society really struggle with aging overall we families we care professionals we authorities so I, I kept that idea in my mind and I've been always involved in social innovation from climate change change to global health uh, throughout my different experiences in my career and about a year and a half ago uh, we decided with some friends that it was time to uh, to do something next in your career with a very strong social impact um, and and with a startup mindset to really bring uh, some disruptive change and so LLK came right um, uh, uh, into our mind because we could we could see the the social uh, crisis was, that was brewing everywhere in Western, Western Europe, but also in other countries like Japan, China, or the US. And, and the problem we're trying to solve to your question is really the following. We see uh, a massive amount of older adults uh, coming, you know, coming up in the next 10 to 15 years just by, by the sake of demography. Um, we see that these people are actually falling, si falling sick at the same age, but they, they die later. So that's even a larger volume of what we call dependent elderly. We see that governments today struggle to support these people just in the current state. And in the, U the UK, we call, we call it the, you know, the, the social crisis, the funding gaps about you know, half a million people who don't have the right support. We see families who are more and more, you know, involved in work, live far further and further from the parents and so cannot take care of the parents as before. And we see care professionals in the UK, it's quite a staggering number, who also struggle uh, to deal with, with the care. So in the UK, because the margins are so small for the care agencies, one out of four home care agency is at the brink of bankruptcy. So families can't cope, care professionals cannot support, government cannot pay, and it will only worsen because we have three times more people in this case coming up. 
So that was a very strong case for us to say, we've got to do something here. And, and so we looked into it and we heard plenty of stories from families and, and, and older adults and, and, and care professionals. And we realized there were a lot of inefficiencies in the process. We had to bring a solution which is really helping the whole care community, professionals, families, older adults to deliver a better care and to make sure that the older adults are safer. And we decided to do that at home. Because care homes is not the right solution. First, all the adults don't want to be there. Second, it's too expensive. And third, there's not enough space. Even if you try to find one, there's not enough space. So the future is at home. And so we've been working on building a holistic care platform to keep all the adults as long as possible and as happy as possible at home. I think if you're looking at digital technology and how much it's being used uh, um, in the space for elderly people, it looks like there's very little technology actually being used right now. Um, do you have any reasons why that is? And uh, why aren't there more companies like yours that are actually trying to tackle problems that are faced by elderly people and their relatives? Yeah, I think, I think really there are three elements. The first element is that um, you're talking uh, about a highly fragmented, fragmented market with many different stakeholders. So it's really hard to address a problem in a piecemeal fashion. There are people doing just technology like hardware, just people doing digital softwares, uh, people talking to care professionals only or to families. Because there are so many stakeholders involved, it only works if you have a holistic solution for everyone to be connected and to deal with the care. And this is the approach we're taking. So it's, it's really hard because it It requires really a, an ambitious uh, roadmap in terms of technology. Um, the second thing is, um, and everybody is struggling with that, um, all the adults are very uh, tech-resistant. And so you, you have to find a way to deal with the care and make sure that they're fine at home as long as possible. But you, you, it doesn't mean specifically that you have to bring them on the technology. And so people have been battling with that. Uh, but, but thinking that an older adult will use uh, Eco or, or you know, Amazon Eco right away is, is a bit, I think, uh, uh, wishful thinking. Um, the third reason is that uh, the, the funding is very hard to find in this industry. If you look at the number of elderly care startups, um, whereas there's a you know, crying need for these kind of services, there's only a few startups which have raised not usually by, from VC but from other kind of investors. Reason is, nobody has done a proper exit or there's no like fund return or metrics that VCs are looking at. So finding the money to actually support this kind of technology is really hard. And that's why, you know, I think we have seen only few players on the market. In your case, you have raised uh, your funding from AXA and you've been backed by them and by their company builder. How, how was the process of getting that funding in place and why would somebody like AXA actually back this? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's where... We, we quite well positioned to, you know, I'd say to support the ambition that we got. Um, and we'll talk about social entrepreneurship, I assume, but our ambition is within five years to have radically improved the life of one million old adults and have the financial, financial means to sustain uh, our, our growth. Um, so really, the purpose here is not money. The purpose here is impacting the lives of people, but having sufficient leeway, financially speaking, to accelerate uh, that impact. Um, and, and that is something that uh, AXA adhere to quite a lot because they're moving what, what they call um, from, from a strategy of payer to partner. They just don't want to be a claim manager anymore. They want to become the daily partner of their customers. And among the different initiatives they're looking at, elderly care is a very important one. But they didn't know how to take, uh, to take it. They don't have a lot of expertise in that field. And so we came up with a model that they found very interesting from a strategic standpoint to say, well, we'll fund you, do your thing, show that it works, show that you can 
can impact substantially the life of these people and then we will deploy with you. And we are very privileged to have a long-term relationship with them, which means that we can invest in the future as well. We don't need to generate revenue tomorrow. We, of course, we do that. We're also investing in the future with things like what we call the health analytics. So we're using all the data we got from the sensors, from uh, the digital products that the carers or the families are using to actually anticipate issues in the house that are happening, uh, such as infections or decline mobility or depression. These are long-term research uh, things to do, and it requires some funding to push it. But if we crack it, it's a massive change in industry. And that's where a partner like AXA is very powerful because they believe in us in the long term as well. Walk us through the customer journey. If I'm a relative and I have to take care of my mom, which might uh, might need to take care of my grandma, um, what do I do? How do I use your solution? So uh, we, we have two waves in terms of uh, the, the, the way we distribute our product. The wave one, which we, uh, we're doing right now, is we work with um, home care agencies, which um, are using our solution to record all their notes instead of doing that on paper. So imagine today uh, your mother um, is living at home alone. Um, she has Parkinson and there's a carer passing by three times a day uh, to take care of her, to prepare her meal, to, to help her bathe um, and to make sure she's fine. Um, after each visit, the carer would actually write on a piece of paper how your mother was doing when she came in and came out. That's that's very backwards. And, and it's a lot of waste of time for these, these carers. The first thing we did is to say, well, let's let's actually build an app and a web app for the care agency to fluidify all that information, have it in real time to make sure that we flag an issue on time and also that we save a lot of time for the carers. And we give that for free or nearly for free for the agencies. And on the back of that, we say we also have a range of sensors we can install in the house of the families, of the older adults, if they want, um, to actually make sure that 24-7 we know what's going on. Not only when a care is there. And then we are now, and we launched it about a couple of months ago, uh, deploying an app uh, for the families, which is a, a free version, uh, a basic free version, and then they can actually upgrade with sensors to actually gather all that information, that care companion. And so agencies will go to these families and say, hey, we got this great app, which not only allows you to know when the carer came in and came out, which you don't know about today, and you're very much worried about that, which enables you to communicate with the carers, which is today done on post-its and lost post-its and so on, which enables you also to see how your mother was doing during the visit and you can track how she has been doing over the last days and you can re really see plenty of different things in there. But also, thanks to the sensors, uh, let you know if there's anything wrong. She's fallen, she's outside of the house at three o'clock in the morning if she has Alzheimer, um, she's not in, bedroom, in the bedroom right now, things like that. And you can tailor these alerts based on your specific needs as a family member. So that 24-7, you got that peace of mind. And then we bring a range of services for these families as well to actually treat every issue, uh, every case. So we have a GP on call, we have our in-house care manager, we have special transportation services everything went up so the families are being warned or being notified by the agencies that this product exists and that it will help them deal with the care so much better and then we deploy this this care app um, this this care companion with these families to make sure that they can deal with the care better and that they're really reassured 24-7 that everything is fine and if not they'll be notified about it and that we help them treat that so that's step one step two is to say once we have a large network of care agencies working with us we are 
are actually able to go directly to the families, whatever they need. And that's, I think, what you were saying is, you know your mother is a bit wobbly these days, call us and we'll help you find the right solution for this specific case. Whether it's technology in the house to make sure that if everything, anything happens, we'll know about it and, and act upon it. Or whether it's a carer that you need to come once or twice a day, good news, we have a network of care agencies fully integrated with us who can provide that service. So that's a holistic solution to help families deal with the care is clearly what we want to launch in, in the next six months. Yeah. Isn't there a real issue of trust as well in terms of if I install these sensors in my mom's home, um, how do you face the Or do customers and do those people that are actually being monitored, do they trust you in terms of monitoring them 24-7? And have you encountered any issues with that? So it's, it's a question that arises very often uh, from people who, who are not so much involved in the industry. Um, and there are really two answers here. Number one is we always ask for the consent of the older adult before installing any kind of equipment in the house. So clearly, you know, she or he knows that we'll be installing these, uh, these sensors. And number two is that the sensors themselves are uh, not so intrusive. So we're talking about uh, motion sensors, like alarm sensors, which are in any case usually in the house. So it's not very intrusive. Um, clearly, yes, we know where they are in which room at all times. It depends on the needs of the older adults. But for Alzheimer's, or, um, you know, Parkinson patients or Alzheimer's patients, um, we are at a stage where it's about their safety first. And if they provide consent, usually they say, well, it's true that sometimes, you know, something might have happened. A fall is a very good example. I can guarantee you that one out of two falls today, uh, we could avoid it, or if not avoid it, we could actually uh, react upon it faster. Um, we've had yesterday, again, the case of uh, an old, older lady telling us, she's not using her service, telling us that she had to wait two days lying on the floor because nobody came to rescue her after a fall. These kind of people, they actually find to be monitored passively because they know that it's for their safety and they just don't want to experience this again. How big can this be? Is this a problem that you mainly see uh, across Europe and the US or is this something that could be applied even in developing economies or maybe for families that might not be able to afford all these sensors? How big do you see this spread and how big of an impact can this potentially have? So uh, it, it's a very good question. And and talking about social entrepreneurship, the, the point eventually is to have a systemic change, right? Um, I, I firmly believe that you need to start with a, a private approach um, so that it can sustain your growth while you're actually experiencing, uh, you know, um, all the device, all the technology that you're trying to deploy. So yes, clearly we're addressing a market right now where, you know, these are families that will have to pay for the sensors. And the price tag is frankly not very high compared to what they pay already for care packages. It's about, you know, a few percentage of what they pay. So the willingness to pay is very high in any case. Uh, the, the, the pain point is massive. Uh, one out of two families I was talking to during our interviews at the early stage of this company was crying in front of me saying it's such, you know, such a burden to deal with my mom and I love her, but it's really hard. I got three kids, I'm, I have a, a job to do, and yet I have to take care of my mom. So this problem is across the board in Western Europe, in Asia, in the US, any developed economy. Developing economy is less so as such because you don't have all the infrastructure in place already. So usually they stay at the home of their children. But the pain point in developed economies is massive. 
And I think I call it the next climate change. It's we, we, we are in a fast train going to hit the wall big time if we don't address the issue now. So let's try to start the issue to, to address it now. You know, our approach is to say let's do that with private pay first. Honestly, the price tag is not very high. So the change, the, the potential of impact is already very high. And let's let's depreciate our technology, if you wish. Let's let's you know make sure that the marginal cost for us is getting lower and lower, so that we can actually deploy with different versions for the people who cannot afford it at the moment. And I think one way to do that also is to prove that for authorities, for the government, our solution will actually uh, be only beneficial for them because it will be cheaper. If you can avoid, our geriatrician is saying that we can avoid one out of five hospital admission uh, for all the adults if we use the data the right way. Everybody is winning, the older adult, the families, but also the NHS and the local authorities. And if you bring this kind of model in place, then it's actually the government which is going to pay for that for the recipients of the care. And so that's really the purpose. Everybody is winning, and then you have a scalable model. And in which direction do you see all this moving? I mean, there, there's a lot of new technologies and developments happening. There's robotics coming up and robots uh, and uh, taking care of the elderly, or at least that vision is out there right now. Um, Do you think it will move more towards, okay, let's put a bunch of sensors and robots in the house and not worry about the elderly anymore? Or do you have rather a vision where the robots and sensors and AI works together with humans to... to so our, our strong bet is uh, is the second, is the latter. Um, um, and if you look at you know, recent reports on, on automation of jobs and so on, um, the need for carers, the need for professionals supporting our society and people in need, particularly elderly people, uh, will only rise. So we are strong believers that it's a combination of both. It's truly a combination of enhancing the quality of care provided by the care professionals with technology, and that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to provide much more tailored preventive care, combined with some kind of technology in the house, which will, you know, make, which will make the care much better. Um, people are talking about robots, indeed. Um, I, I think, first, that it's going to be in 20 years, not now, and people are starting piloting a few robots, but, you know, just climbing stairs is already quite very hard, and usually there's always stairs in the house of all the agile. So there are plenty of, I'd say, of frictions uh, for these kind of technologies to be scalable. But, yes, it will come. Um, I think that the human touch will still be absolutely critical. And I think we have to look at technology and new organization models to actually make sure that these humans are actually empowered to deliver better care, supported by technology. And in our case, as I was saying, we're using the data provided by the carers and the data provided by the sensors, not only to anticipate issues, but then to ask to these carers and to these families to take the right action. So it's kind of a virtuous circle, and we're just here to support these guys to do a better job. Uh, I'd like to go back a bit to your personal story and also your personal views on um, social entrepreneurship, impact-driven entrepreneurship, as I love to call it. Um, you actually worked for a big NGO previously, and you've been in that space and uh, made an impact through that. What what initially got you into social entrepreneurship? What got you to believe that this is a way to do it or one of the ways to do it? So it's a, it's a, and I think we were exchanging about that a second ago. Um, 
I've been always in, into social innovation and I've been always convinced that uh, technology and, and new organizational models can really drive a systemic change to improve uh, uh, how society works and, and deals with issues. Um, so, uh, you know, I worked at McKinsey for, for four years and I was involved in climate change and fight against deforestation particularly. I could see how um, kind of new government models could actually solve massive issues like, you know, deforestation, which is a, a, a big uh, problem for, for climate change change. Uh, but I was frustrated by the speed of things. Um, then I, I joined the Global Fund and in there, um, I think we really achieved a, a massive impact. I was in charge of building the largest global health e-marketplace. Uh, and, and just in a nutshell, but basically, uh, the Global Fund is one of the largest global health organizations. They give about $4 billion per year to 140 countries for these countries to purchase medicine and, and, uh, and against malaria, uh, AIDS and the likes. And we build basically a central platform for these countries to procure the drugs via us and and we build this uh, uh this platform from sourcing dealing negotiating directly with manufacturers to supply chain and to kind of a bid amazon.com for zimbabwe to purchase medicine and there i was frustrated by the bureaucracy of such organizations but we basically built a, a spin-off within the organization to deliver and that was very much startup minded and and i got to really like how technology uh, could substantially improve the way we deal with these issues and actually generate massive impact in this case you know it's a billion dollar transactions per year it's about 20 million dollars of savings realized so that means about 100,000 people under treatment, additional people under treatment. So that's a big impact. And I got excited about that. And so in my mind, I've always said there's four verticals I want to work on. One is climate change. The second one is global health. The third, the third one is elderly care. And the fourth one is unemployment. And I'm on the third one. And I thought that when looking at elderly care, all the models in place were either not scalable or too slow. And that's where I think social entrepreneurship is an amazing vector because it brings together a range of different people. You know, this is kind of that multidisciplinary approach, which is very powerful. It brings in technology, which is really a disruptor in some instances. I mean, that's what we're doing now. And also, it's, it brings these people together to actually deliver much faster. So mm -hmm. the model is really small, agile, highly, uh, you know, highly efficient, super uh, speed-oriented organizations which can deliver at such a, a high speed. And so that's what gets, gets me excited is because I think with that kind of model, we can actually change, change. And I've tried large NGOs, small NGOs, international organizations, governments, um, all of them are doing a great job. So I have no criticism. But in my case, if you want to achieve fast, a systemic change I believe this model really works because we have you know the, the leeway financial leeway the skills the organization model to deliver quickly mm. um, do you feel this social entrepreneurship model is something that's really on the rise and that more and more people realize I, I think if I look at your sector for example the health sector I think it's quite obvious if you look at the data that there's already a lot of money being spent so um, from my perspective I think if you argue okay we're going to come up with innovation in that sector it's very clear for somebody to understand okay there's some money to be made in that sector mm. um, some other sectors where I solve social problems it might not be as clear do you think uh, healthcare might be in well, not easier space, but more logical space to start with? Or um, do you still see barriers in other sectors? Mm. What's your view on that? No, I, th I think it's it, it all 
you know, goes back to the concept of what is social entrepreneurship. And the definition has been really, really, you know, uh, really, you know, uh, uh, difficult to provide, but by, by all means. Uh, is it about making money while having an impact? Is it about, you know, privileging the social impact before the money? Is it a bit of both? Uh, is it a scalable model? Not. So we're all struggling with that definition. I think there are clearly... Um, industries and verticals where you can have a much better impact indeed or, or high impact because it's kind of a more of a no-brainer in this case yes elderly care or healthcare overall it's it's easier because there are so many inefficiencies and frictions that you can actually address it and there's a willingness to pay so there's a revenue model you can make and i think in the end it's about setting the rationale having a scalable model having the culture uh, to deliver and healthcare ticks you know three all three of these of these criteria other industries much harder much harder because fully subsidized much harder because too many stakeholders much harder because there's no money at all and so people try and so it's going to be probably more niche Uh, but there are opportunities. Uh, but clearly, healthcare for me is one of the most uh, interesting verticals. But climate change is very much another one, I think, where there is an opportunity. There's a virtuous circle of a revenue-generating model, you know, improving how society can deal with climate change. But there are, there are a few only, I think. Uh, you mentioned that you want to impact a million people over the next five years, I think. Um, what's the real long-term goal? What's the big impact that you want to make here in terms of like 10, 20 years horizon? What's what, what What's the big impact you're trying to make? Our, our vision is very clear. is to help any older adult to envisage uh, their future very serenely and, and to be able to stay at home as long as they want and, and, and healthy and happy. So that's the vision. And so for us, Birdie should be the solution for anyone who's looking at the few years coming, wants to stay at home, to say, well, great with birdie i know that i'll be you know happy at home healthy because i'll be coached i'll be supported uh, to get there so that's really the vision and and it's about dealing with aging the right way as a society and taking care of our elders the right way i wish you all the best on that journey thanks very much for joining me today thank and you for the uh, thanks for for being part of the revolution in the healthcare space thanks <laughs> thank you this was impact hustlers impact hustlers is brought to you by Wira uk part of telephone Monica Open Future. Learn more about Waira on www.waira.co.uk. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, share the episode, leave us a review and consider becoming a supporter on buymeacoffee.com slash impact hustlers. This means a lot to me. Thank you very much for tuning in and see you next time. Bye.